Donald Trump announces his re-election in a 76-minute rally in Orlando, opening up the same can of worms as he did in 2016. The system is rigged. By the way, that is a lot of fake news back there. That's also, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has been out of town for a couple of days, speaking at various events in New York and appearing on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. So we're looking at the root causes to make sure that we're providing resources, jobs, economic development, but also just showing the young people in those neighborhoods that we care about them. Finally, there are some tensions being renewed with Iran after the Middle Eastern country shot down an approaching U.S. drone on Thursday. So that drone was doing what uh, drones do all over the world, which is surveillance. All of that and more on episode 85 of the Jay Dory podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. My name is Jay Doherty. Thank you so much for listening. A lot of stuff going on in the world, uh, especially very recently. Hopefully, you like that new intro. I'm going to try and start uh, over the summer doing those fancy new intros where I talk about exactly what I'm going to be talking about in the show every single time. But that's not what we're going to be talking about today. Today, we are talking about Donald Trump's re-election rally that he held on Tuesday in Orlando, Florida. He said a lot of things uh, that the New York Times is reporting are either just straight-out false or misleading. And some things that were true, actually most of the things that were true. But that does not take away from the broader picture of him basically using recycling the same banter that he had in 2016, even if it is not relevant. For example, him saying lock her up. Hillary Clinton, newsflash for Donald Trump, is not running against him in 2020. We'll also talk about uh, Miss Lightfoot. She is the new mayor in Chicago. It's been less, actually, just two days since the month that she, or uh, a month and two days since she was inaugurated into the office. And she's already taken three trips out of town, which and meeting with a lot of uh, famous people. But there is some slack we can cut her. We'll talk about that. And then we'll also talk about, of course, the big prominent news this week, Iran shooting down an American drone. All that and more coming up on the Jay Doherty podcast. Um, I guess we'll first start talking out, start talking about uh, Mr. Trump. Now, he, of course, began his re-election rally on Tuesday uh, at a rally in Orlando, and he basically was recycling the same things that he says in many of his campaign rallies, uh, but this was the official one. This is, you know, the the big 25,000 people, or actually, no, 20,000 people, um, you know, in his rally um, saying the same thing. So, the first thing that he said, and this is a fact check article by the New York Times. I'll have it linked on the website. It's by Linda Q. Uh, she went. She started out talking about uh, Trump's statements with Russia. Donald Trump said, uh, "Quote: Nobody's been tougher on Russia than Donald Trump." Talking in the third person there. Now, of course, uh, she writes, and I agree with this. Whether or not Mr. Trump has been tougher than any other president is subjective, which is very true. You can judge. Uh, how tough or not tough someone is based off of their rhetoric, based off of 
their uh, you know, policy, based off of their actions, based off of what they actually say and do to the leaders of those other countries, especially Russia. So, um, he he can say you know that, and actually, I mean, his policy has been uh, at least, I mean, not really recently, but in the past when. Uh, you know, comparing him, to him what he, to what uh, Obama did, you could make the argument, one could make the argument if they presented all of the facts that Donald Trump was tougher on policy than uh, Obama. But that does not take away from the fact that Mr. Trump constantly seems to have a hard time uh, degrading Russia. Uh, you know, he, he can't do it. That's a double negative there. He, he just, he seems to have a hard time bashing Russia as an enemy of the United States. He can't do that for, for some strange, strange reason. Um, uh, perhaps it is so he can get a building there. Perhaps he knows Putin. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, I, I really, it's a very strange thing, and it's not really been revisited uh, quite recently. Another big point is uh, Jim Mattis. Now, in the resignation letter that he made in December, of course, when he uh, influentially resigned, he said, quote, treating allies with respect and also being clear, uh, clear-eyed about both malign actors and strategic competitors, Russia, for example, were not shared by Mr. Trump. Now, that either means that he was tough, he was more tough or less tough. He does not specify. It's very broad language that is commonly used in resignation letters, which is actually pretty smart uh, in terms of legality for anyone resigning, especially Mr. Mattis. Uh, and speaking of which, he was the uh, Secretary of Defense. We do not have a Secretary of Defense. We did not have one. We still don't have one. But on Thursday, when the uh, attack happened. It was really, you know, we didn't have anyone, we didn't have anyone uh, there to, you know, filling that post. So, they had the acting defense secretary who was on his way out, going to leave at the end of the week, basically done with the job, and then a new defense secretary coming in. Mr. Shanahan was leaving and the new guy was coming in right when it came by. Now, it was reported that both of these new, both of these past and future Secretary of Defense's <laughs> were going to show up to the Pentagon talks about the strategy to retaliate against Iran's recent attacks. Uh, but that is off topic. Let's continue talking about Mr. Trump. Now, here's a really false thing. In, he said, quote, In September, just before the election, the FBI told President Obama about possible Russian interference, and he did nothing because he thought that Hi- Hillary Clinton, crooked Hillary, was going to win that's why he did nothing. He did nothing. Now, of course, uh, Trump can say whatever he wants uh, in terms of arguments. He can argue for whatever he wants, and that's what Miss Q writes. Um, she says, Mr. Trump is free to argue that President Barack Obama did not do enough in response to Russia's meddling in, tw- in the 2016 election. Um, and actually, many Democrats have done that as well. Um, but Obama didn't do nothing, and that's a double negative. So Obama did do something. Obama administration officials warned Russia against meddling, and Mr. Obama actually talked to Putin directly at um, a Group of 20 summit meeting in China for the 2016 election. Um, There was also a statement put out in 2016, actually in October, and I'll have it linked over there from the uh, Department of Homeland Security. The first paragraph says, 
The U.S. intelligence commu uh, community is confident that the Russian government directed the recent compromises of emails from U.S. persons and institutions, including from U.S. political organizations. The recent disclosure of alleged hacked emails on sites like DCLeaks.com and WikiLeaks and by Guccifer 2.0 online persona are consistent with the methods and motivation of Russian-directed efforts. These thefts uh, and disclosures were intended to interfere with the U.S. election process. Such activity is not new to Moscow. The Russians have used similar tactics and techniques across Europe and Eurasia, for example, to influence uh, the public opinion there. We believe, based on the scope and sensitivity of these efforts, that only Russia's senior-most officials could have authorized those activities. So, he, Obama did do something. He spoke to those officials, and those officials released a pretty harsh statement, and that's not even the, the whole thing. That statement was just the first paragraph of the whole thing linked on the website, j-doherty.com. Let's take a look uh, at uh, the wall. Now, of course, this is a big thing. Uh, you know, his supporters always say, you know, they yell, build the wall. So, they Trump said, actually, that he's going to have uh, over 400 miles of wall built by the end of next year. Now, this is unrealistic. It's actually pretty exaggerated. Total hyperbole. He said uh, he was mixing the projects to replace existing barriers with constructions of entirely new sectors of wall uh, along the southwestern uh, border, which, uh, you know, saying that he's going to build it and having it already be built and then counting the stuff that's already been built as the things that, you already, that you're building right now is not exactly the most truthful thing on the planet. Uh, very exaggerated. But he's done this in the past. He said that in other rallies. In fact, he said it to, in meetings with uh, Democrats. He's saying that, you know, we're having tremendous progress, even though if you, if you, you know, I'll shut down the government again, and I did that, uh, we, as we all know. But, um, you know, because this already exists, and I'm having, you know, construction companies go build the wall, means that there's going to be 400 mi miles uh, away. But, or 400 miles of wall. But, this is what Trump actually has. So, the... Border Protection Agency, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection uh, Agency, has gotten funding um, to build 258 miles of barriers, and that is 175 miles from congressional appropriations, 30 miles from the Treasury Department, um, and that's from the Asset for, uh, Forfeiture Fund, and more funding from so many other people. So, uh, there are uh, only, there's only that much. Now, he's received funding, but... That is, uh, according to Ms. Hughes' math, 142 miles under what Mr. Trump claimed. So, you know, he is wrong uh, when he says this. That's 258 miles in total. He said there's 400. 400 minus 258 is 142. So, the 40 miles funded in the 2017 fiscal year, for example, is to replace old barriers with new fencing, while a federal judge in May blocked Trump from using the Pentagon funds to build his wall. Now, if you take into account inflation on this next point with the economy, Trump said that we enacted the biggest tax cut in history. Now, that's not true. Uh, you know, he said that so many times. He said that he he made a 1.5 trillion dollar tax cut that was made in December of 2017, 
um, which, and it's a big tax cut. I'm not going to diminish that, but it's not the biggest in history. Ronald Reagan made the biggest tax cut at the largest percentage in 1981 by its reduction to federal revenue. Seconded on the Obama administration, in 2012, cut the amounted, uh, the largest cut in inflation-adjusted amounts of money. That was $321 billion a year. So, he's, he's, you know, said all this quite frequently. Another thing I said quite frequently uh, is about jobs and the creation of jobs. Trump says, since the election, we have created 6 million new jobs. Wow, that's a lot. Nobody thought that would be possible. They said it wouldn't be possible. That is exaggerated, though. That is not possible. The economy did add about 6 million jobs from November 2016 to May 2019. But in the full 28 months since he has been president, which is February 2017 to May 2019, it was only about 5.4 million jobs. So, that uh, is far from. 600,000 jobs is a lot different uh, than 5.4 million jobs. He's claiming he created an extra 600,000 jobs. Now, I'm not saying that he's totally wrong. and I mean, by, by if you take it word for word, he is totally false. That is completely false. If it was 5,999 jobs, sorry, 5,999,999 jobs, he would be wrong. So, uh, if you took it word for word. But it is not. It is 5,400,000 jobs as opposed to 6 million jobs. Which is really interesting. Another claim that he made in the number 6 million, he said that he lifted 6 million off of food stamps. Was it actually true? Now, we can't take credit for it completely, but... The Supplementary Nutrition Assistance Program did decline by about 7 million people from November 2016 to March of 2019. And he actually did make another true claim about the unemployment rate, uh, mentioning actually uh, specific ethnic backgrounds. He said that the unemployment rate is the lowest rate it's been in over 51 years, which is true. It was 3.6% in May of 2019. And the unemployment rate for uh, Hispanics is 4.2%. And the rates for black Americans and Asian Americans also reached their lowest points under Trump, which was 5.9% in May 2018 and 2.2% in April of 2019. So, a lot of the stuff he said was uh, misleading or exaggerated or true. He said only a couple false things. Yeah. Very interesting. Great article by uh, Miss Linda Q at the New York Times, published on June 2018, 2019. It's called Fact-Checking Trump's Orlando Rally. I'll have it linked on the website, j-dorty.com. Listen to some highlights there. Mr. Pence, of course, introduced the man himself, Mr. Donald J. Trump. Time for round two. And it was time for round two, and of course... The crowd goes wild. It's on, everybody. It's on, indeed. And I want to ask you guys a question. Do you think Trump will win in 2020? Seriously, out of what we know so far, I know it's very early on in the election relative to Election Day. 2019, the election is in 2020. Do you think he will become the President of the United States next year? Let me know. Email me, j-story.com. Go to the website, 
Dashdoorty.com or call the number 312-625-8492. So here Mr. Pence once more. The campaign for America's future starts tonight. <laughs> but we're here for one reason and one reason only. America needs four more years of President Donald Trump. I don't know if that's exactly true, but uh, you know what's really interesting? Now, of course, uh, Melania and, and, and uh, Ivanka, and actually, no, Ivanka was not on stage, but Melania and uh, some other, uh, Mike Pence and his wife and, you know, all the pleasantries that are exchanged at these rallies did occur as scheduled planned. But at exactly 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Sarah Sanders actually came to the podium and introduced Trump for her last time. She's leaving at the end of the month. She is gone on July 1st. Thank you, Mr. President. Sarah, that's funny. You remember during one of the debates... When crooked Hillary said, if I win, are you going to support me? But I must be honest, I didn't give her a great answer. That was a very, that might have been my hardest question during the debates. Okay, but, but Hillary's not running against you. I mean, if, you know, if that was, first, you know, for example, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, any one of those fine... Democrats, it would be fine, but Hillary's not running against you, so just bashing her does nothing except make you look bad, except not in the eyes of his supporters, quite apparently. Isn't it amazing that it worked the other way around, right? Isn't it amazing? If you want to know how the system is rigged, just compare how they came after us for three years with everything they have versus the free pass they gave to Hillary and her aides after they set up an illegal server, destroyed evidence, deleted and... Wait, 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 wait. I didn't, I didn't know that Hillary Clinton was running again. Why is he... 33,000 emails? You've said that, like, probably over 500 times. Now, I hate Hillary just as much as he does, but I hate him just as much as he hates Hillary. So... I mean, what's your point, basically? And I, I, you know, that's still, I still hate Hillary, but I'm just saying, why are you bringing this up? It's totally irrelevant. For Trump. The fact is, the American dream is back. It's bigger and better and stronger than ever before. <laughs> 2016 was not merely another four-year election. This was a defining moment in American history. Ask them right there. Oh, boy, pointing at the news media. Oh, my goodness. Now, actually, when he started saying fake news, CNN cut away on the shot. I was watching it live. John Berman was the anchor filling in for Anderson Cooper after his mother died. And... They're saying CNN sucks, and actually a lot of the camera men and women are laughing at it. I don't even think many of these people watch CNN. <laughs> By the way, that is a lie. 
of fake news back there. CNN That's cuts away at this moment. That's a lot. I actually had that in the intro of this episode. And uh, you can actually see uh, It's reporters. on, everybody. So that's what happens there uh, in that election. Those are really the highlights. Nothing really more special except for those claims that I read to you. Um, but he did, of course, attack. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be fair to say that he didn't attack his uh, opponents. He did call Joe Biden, once again, Sleepy Joe. He also made a comment about Sarah Sanders saying that we're going to miss her. And, uh, you know, the message was basically the same. And he actually uh, was talking to the crowd uh, like a couple minutes after the rally started saying, what is the best slogan for me to use in this upcoming election? He pulled the crowd in the arena. And, you know, he, he kind of said, based on your cheers, I'll make the decision. Do you want me to call it? Uh, you want me to continue having Make America Great Again? Or should I call it Keep America Great? And out of those cheers, Keep America Great was way, way more popular. But he has not made his decision off of that, so we don't know exactly what he is going to uh, end up using for his official slogan. Um, and he actually said <laughs> that he was going to find Clinton's emails in the election uh, that she deleted. He said he's going to do that if he's re-elected president. He said, we'll find her emails somewhere deep in the State Department. Okay. Very interesting, Mr. Trump. You're a funny man. Very good entertainer. But uh, I don't know if you're the best president. And I think that is shared unanimously within many states in the country. The country has never been so divided, and I know people say that all the time, but it really <clears throat> is incredibly divided. Um, <clears throat> it's been a while in American history where states just, like, hate each other so much. And um, it's not good. Not good for the country. Anyway, we got to move on, though. And before we do that, it looks like uh, because we are at the 22-minute mark, I have to do this for you. I have to share with you one of the best companies that I know, it's called Blueberry. And I'm telling you this because this episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast is brought to you in part by Blueberry. If you are looking to host your podcast, go to Blueberry to get the fastest download and accessibility times no matter how big or small your podcast is. Use my name, Jay Doherty, J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, all one word, and you can get one month free of Blueberry service when you use the code J. Doherty at checkout. The website is blubrry.com. Please don't forget to use the code J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y and J. Doherty at checkout for one month free. We thank Blueberry for their amazing support of the show. we got to move on here to uh, Miss Lightfoot. There was an article published in the Chicago Sun-Times, one of the most famous local papers next to the Tribune for Chicago, and uh, it was actually titled... Uh, it was filed as an analysis titled as Some Early Lightfoot Missteps Mirror Those of Predecessor, Rob Emanuel, of course. Now, Emanuel is infamous for constantly traveling, and uh, Miss Lightfoot has done the same just four weeks after she has taken office. She went to New York, Palm Springs, 
Southern California, Los Angeles, all four weeks after she took office. After she heard this criticism, she uh, responded with, so be it. I don't know if that's the best response. Um, uh, I really don't. But it makes you want to know, if she's traveling all this much, what the heck is she doing? Well, not much related to the city, which is pros and cons. Way more cons than there is a pro. We'll talk about the cons, and then we'll go into the pros to finish it off. The things that she was doing, this might make people, might might make some Chicago citizens mad. She uh, dined with uh, Miss Oprah Winfrey in her home in Southern California, saying that it was more nerve-wracking than election night, uh, on Stephen Colbert, which she also appeared on when she was traveling to New York with Mr. Colbert. Uh, on her on his show, we played it in the beginning, and then he she was also in uh, Palm Springs and some other places, uh, particularly New York, delivering some talks about LGBTQ Pride and Pride Month on the stage. Now this makes people mad, including myself, because Chicago has huge problems, huge, huge, huge problems. There were 530 murders last year, and it's on average that more than t- like 30 people get shot every single weekend and oh, and many of them die and she's off in Palm Beach or I'm sorry Palm St- Palm Springs and in New York hanging out with Stephen Colbert and Oprah when she should be at her desk solving these problems and pushing for a legislature now she says that she's going to travel from time to t- from time to time and i understand that i mean if you everyone needs to take a vacation to clear their head but 4 weeks into your office and you've gone to three places and have done very little city work to actually improve the situation in the city that is not exactly what i would uh, call uh, great leadership but she could prove herself. She could t- turn it around, and I have to be to- I have to be a hundred percent fair to her because uh, I've been lucky enough to interview her. She was very pleasant, very nice to me. But I have to report the straight n- facts in my opinions. I don't think any politician should uh, do that. I don't think any politician should leave the city they were just they just had the honor of being elected to four weeks ago, and you know claim their celebrity status and meet with a bunch of people. And I, I I don't I say that maybe because you know if she was having lunch with Oprah or something and she came back and she you know flew there and flew back in one day and it was not a not a huge deal that would be fine but she was been traveling she's out of the city she was doing all these uh, you know press interviews she claimed it was for fundraising which it was but fundraising is unimportant compared to what is happening in the city fundraising. Is for after you solve the problem, so you can claim that you did b- good things in your in your uh, tenure as mayor. It's been four weeks, and very little has been done. You claimed on this, or Miss Lightfoot claimed on the Stephen Colbert show that um, she is uh, she she's actually um, continuing to try and you know invest in small in, in neighborhoods, and she has really good plans. Incredibly good plan. She has re- like phenomenal policies, incredibly detailed policies, but she just has to put them to work. Like, and it has to start now because, um, you know, 
whether anyone likes it or not, their four years go quickly, and they can't ha- make it eight years or twelve years, you know, in in Chicago. Without it, really, I mean, they can't make it, uh, you know, eight or twelve years without having anything to show for their past four or eight years. And to be honest, the people who are getting shot and the people who are in the families of those getting shot don't care if she went on Stephen Colbert. But she did, and she talked about some pretty, or actually Mr. Colbert asked her about some pretty light questions to begin the interview off. There are conflicts in Chicago. There are yeah. people that people argue about all the time there. Um, we'll get to some of the serious ones in just a moment, but let's start, let's start easy here. What's your favorite deep dish in Chicago? <laughs> uh, gotta be Paisanos. Paisanos, okay, yeah. interesting, interesting. Paisano, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Some people would say Gino's. Somebody some people... would, yeah. Nope. Some would say Lumonati's, <laughs> Gino's East, but okay, that's very interesting. Okay, socks. Oh. Or Cubs. Socks all the way. Socks, okay. I'll go yeah, I'm a South Side girl. Gotta agree right with you. Right north side. But uh, it doesn't right really north side right now. Okay, okay. <laughs> now, Chicago also has some very serious issues facing it. There have been uh, 530 murders in Chicago last year. So, uh, we'll talk about what how she responds to this in just a second. But... And, and I have to be fair to Miss Lightfoot. I mean, she she ran a very good campaign. I'm not saying that she's a bad person whatsoever. I mean, she was incredibly nice. I know she's a phenomenal person. She has done great things for so many people. But I'm just saying, you know, you gotta do do your work when you're in the mayor's office. And she still has plenty of time to do that. But I don't think it sends a good message to her voters and even the people who didn't vote for her that she's traveling. I hope she is a huge victory for the city because if she wins, then the city wins. And I know that she has the potential to do that. She just has to prove it. And I think she will. To be fair to her, though, I also have to mention that uh, no taxpayer, or very little taxpayer dollars were made or used in this trip. Uh, She did have her chief of staff travel along with her for a day in New York, and they did have to pay her, of course. Uh... But other than that, no taxpayer dollars associated directly with this tri- with this trip. So that is good. Let's hear what she has to say on the big problems that Mr. Colbert is asking about in Chicago. Yeah. I know you take that very seriously. Mm-hmm. What do you hope to do differently than Mayor Emanuel did before you? Because this is not a new problem. No. Well, I'm, one of the things that we're doing is trying to focus every tool of city government on making sure that we're supporting the neighborhoods because what we're experiencing is definitely a public health crisis. So we're looking at the root causes of the violence, making sure that we're in effect flooding the zones or the areas um, that are most distressed to make sure that we're providing um, resources, jobs, uh, economic development, but also just showing the young people in those neighborhoods that we care about them, that we're gonna provide them with opportunities to be part of the legitimate economy and doing everything we can to help support those neighborhoods. How she does, basically um, said the same thing uh, as she's been saying, but she elevated it to a national scale. You, 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 describe, you describe all these gun deaths as a public health crisis. Yeah. How does framing it that way, how does approaching it that way uh, change it for you? Because it forces us to really look at the root causes. We've got neighborhoods where the unemployment rate is 25% or higher. 
where 90% of the people in the neighborhood depend on government assistance. There's an absence of jobs, um, good quality schools, um, and the things that we take for granted that we know are um, the building blocks for really high quality neighborhoods, they don't exist in a lot of these places. That is true. So making sure that we are focused on really um, building up the quality of life in those neighborhoods, if we do that, we're absolutely going to drive down the violence. Well, I hope uh, she does make sure that she's doing that because it's a paramount of importance that she does that, and I think she will, and I hope she will, and I hope she has assembled, and I know she actually has assembled a very good team with her on the fifth floor of City Hall. So, uh, yeah, I, I have strong confidence that she will do very well in the future, but... I hope she limits the travel because it does not send a good message to the citizens of Chicago. So uh, let's talk about some uh, something else. Talk about uh, Iran. That's a, that's a pretty interesting country. Don't talk about that country uh, quite frequently on this podcast, do we now? So uh, if you don't know and you haven't turned on the TV or if you've been living under a rock for the past couple days, you probably did not know that Iran shot down an American surveillance drone flying over or near the Persian Gulf over international waters. So, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty interesting, actually. And I was, I mean, this is a very rare time, or at least in Trump's presidency, that he's had to make huge military decisions. And I was interested to see what he would end up saying, because... Uh, in how he would do it, he actually handled it, in my opinion, very well. Uh, he he did, he wasn't you know he didn't have his finger on the button like Kim Jong Un. He wasn't gonna obliterate them, which was smart. It was very strategic. Uh, he just tweeted out, and I thought this was good, that Iran made a very big mistake doing what they did, and uh, it certainly certainly was a mistake, uh, and I don't know why. They did that. In fact, I think it was an accident. But I don't think Iran wants to admit that it was an accident for some strange reason because they know for a fact and every other country in the world knows for a fact that America could literally wipe them off of the map in a day. We could obliterate the whole entire country in one day using much of our military force. Uh, Trump, nonetheless, or, or basically was speaking to military officials at the Pentagon and ha was briefed on the situation as, uh, right after it happened. It was an unplanned brief, of course, as all these things are unplanned. Uh, but um, basically, he was dis discussing potential options, and there were three options laid out on the table for a strike. Um, and basically, the best option that the Pentagon and him and Mr. Trump concluded, would uh, kill about 150 people. And after learning that, Trump said, you know what, I'm not going to strike back. We don't need to deal with this. And um, after he said that, actually someone said from Iran, representing someone from Iran, said, we're ready to go to war. Not the best thing for a country to say, in my opinion. Um... So, yeah, Iran has a uh, GDP of about $439.5 billion, 
uh, and the United States has a GDP of about $19.39 trillion, and that does not even compare to the amount of military force that we have. So, Iran was basically a mouse going up to a whale saying, eat me. That is not the most strategic thing to do on behalf of the mouse. Anyway, let's talk about June 13th. There were two oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman that were attacked. The United States blames Iran for that incident. And the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, said that the assessment was based on the intelligence, but there is no evidence to support that claim. The next day, on June 14th, President Trump said Iran did it, but provided no evidence. Thursday, of course, they infamously shoot down the United States military drone, and the United States claims the drone was in, in, it was in international airspace, even though Iran says the drone was over its territory. Now, we will never know, but I'm going to base our intelligence as far more respected than Iran's intelligence just because we have better military surveillance equipment. Thursday night, uh, President Trump called off a military operation to strike Iran in retaliation for the downed drone after learning that it would kill over 150 people. Today, Trump tweeted that the United... I'm sorry, yesterday, Trump tweeted that the United States was cocked and loaded to retaliate against Iran, but he called off the strike because he decided there would be too many deaths. Also, the uh, FAA... Federal Aviation Administration banned the United States Airlines from flying over the area, and several other airlines said that they would avoid the Strait of Ormuz, which is a very good thing, a very smart decision. And, you know, to be honest, that's basically the whole situation. There's nothing more than that. It was just a little bit of a scare when they ended up shooting that drone down. For apparently what was no reason whatsoever. Um, And I thought that was actually super interesting. Um, But yeah, uh, that's basically the whole situation there. I'm going to try and end it here at about 38 minutes. We're doing this, we're trying out this new show content format uh, at the moment where I'm trying to, uh, you know, read the live reads right in the middle, uh, have the podcast presented to you in a very consistent format. And I'm going to be laying out a new schedule uh, via email. And if you are on the email list, which you can sign up for at j-dory.com, totally privacy protected in every single way using Genesis, all you have to do is uh, go to that website, j-dory.com, and sign up for the newsletter. And I also want to remind you that the podcast today is brought to you in part by Blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, Go to ubrry.com and use the code jdoherty, all one word, and you'll be able to uh, get uh, a month free of their wonderful podcast hosting service. It's incredibly fast, and you can get all of it done uh, in a very, very quick and easy way. Blubrry.com. If you are looking to launch a podcast, use that. It's the best service I know. If I use it to launch to host my podcast, and I hope. You use it the same way. Thanks so much for listening. The number is 312-625-8492. See you next week.